Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. We are in the Gospel of Matthew. That's right. We've been here for three or four months. We like going chapter by chapter and verse by verse. That's why I, I don't miss anything. I need it all just like you do. We take, it, we take, it, take our time. Uh, we've been going through what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It started a few weeks ago when we went through the Beatitudes, the Be Happy Attitudes. Jesus said, blessed are you. And we said that Jesus was, was gathering this mixed multitude with him, and he was announcing the kingdom of God. And we're going to see through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus continues to say this familiar phrase that was the topic of my message last week, have you heard, or you've heard it said. So Jesus often is referring to the law. And what Jesus is going to do is two things. Is one is he's going to reaffirm the importance of the moral law. God is serious about sin. He's serious about the way we treat each other. So the law is very important. At the same time, Jesus is going to continue to raise the bar and show you that really what counts is what's in your heart. And we've already had a few lessons on that. Today's sermon is out of Matthew chapter 5, and it's called Loving the Unlovely. Loving the Unlovely. And you'll see exactly why it's called that in just a moment. So we're going to start today in verse 38. We're going to do about half of it now, and then we'll do half of it later. We'll begin in verse 38, and it's you can follow along in your bulletins or on the screen. Jesus says, You've heard it said that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other one also. If anyone wants to sue you to take away your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You know, so let's begin with this familiar saying. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a, a tooth for a tooth. You know, just a, a few weeks ago when we were doing the teachings of Jesus, uh, he was discussing the Sermon on the Mount, and he said it's a matter of the heart. So we'll see today especially that, that these sayings that were in the law and the sayings that they had, Jesus wanted them to understand that true obedience to the law begins in the heart. Uh, today we have microwave ovens. We understand that, right? The things that get cooked start from the middle, okay, the inside, and they go out. Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying that, for example, in Matthew 5, uh, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for those is the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying the heart, it needs to be pure. Your heart should not have any deceit in it, no guile, no trickery, no evil thoughts. Uh, then last week we also talked about this, what you've heard. And Jesus says, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery. Where? In his heart. So we understand that this, this idea that Jesus is telling us that what we've heard is one thing, but he's telling us that truly obedience to the law and what God wants from you is something, a change in your heart. You know, by the time we act out, whatever that is, whether it's adultery or vengeance or whatever, it started a long time ago in our heart. The damage has already been done. 
You know, you can, you can harbor hatred and vengeance and, and evil desires in your heart for a long time before you actually act on them. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go back. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the law did teach an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But you've probably heard that it was to limit vengeance. You see, we want to live in a civil society. We want to make sure that our neighbor doesn't get upset with us and decide to burn down our house or take vengeance on us for something silly. We know what road rage is. That happens all the time. Sometimes you don't even know why somebody's flashing their lights behind you and honking their horn and gesturing with their hands, making some kind of symbols. Um, we don't even know what it is that they did. But the idea is this, is that Jesus wants us to limit our vengeance, to limit retribution. And the idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was to, to limit it. In fact, for example, in Genesis chapter 6, we see this idea of the heart. Back in Genesis chapter 6, uh, the Lord says this, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of men that was great in the earth, and that every intent and thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. Now, the context of that is Noah's flood. God looked out over the creation and found that the heart was wicked, intended, and it was continually in, uh, evil. So God decided to destroy all of the creation except for Noah and those in the ark. You know, and it's, it's true for today as well. For some reason, we tend to, to make heroes out of those that take it into their own hands, to, to seek vengeance, to make sure they don't take anything from anybody, right? In our TVs and our movies, our, the hero is often the people that don't take any guff, right? They, uh, they, they fight back. Uh, they, they protect the weak and the lonely, but what we like is we like them seeing beating up other people. We like the vengeance that they put on other people and the, the violence. That's what our culture likes. Today, our culture actually looks down on the meek and the non-retaliating, the gentile, the forgiving. They, the society looks down on the gracious and the merciful who take the insults. The society looks, looks down at the person who takes an insults and turns the other cheek. By the time Jesus is delivering this Sermon on the Mount, even the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees had forgotten the reason for the law of the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth. In Jesus' time, it had become a license for vengeance, for a vendetta. The very thing that it was supposed to protect against, it became a license for. But Jesus says this, he says, I tell you not to resist an evil person. You can't get any more clear than that. Don't resist the evil person. Whoever slaps you on, one, on, on, on the right cheek, turn to him the other one also. If anyone wants to sue you to take away your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. You know, and here's the thing. What Jesus is talking about, he's talking about people that offend you. People that aren't like you. They're not your neighbors. They're not your friends. We could call them the unlovely. That's the title for my sermon today is Loving the Unlovely. These people can be rude. These unlovely people can be obnoxious. And Jesus is even going further. They can be intimidating. They're striking you. You know, today, if you strike somebody on the cheek, it's called battery. Uh, you can be arrested for that. You can go to jail for that. They'll take you to court. The, the Jewish law wanted to limit vengeance. It limited vengeance and retribution to like kind. In fact, this is the actual scripture verses that the Pharisees had forgotten. 
In Leviticus, it makes it very clear. If anyone injures his neighbor or he has done, it shall be done to him. A fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury has been given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good. You injure an animal, you make it good. You replace the animal. Whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. The law was put in place by Moses to limit revenge. Whatever injury he has done will be given to him. Now, Jesus is going one step further. He says, if somebody strikes you on a cheek, to turn to the, turn the other cheek. Do not seek injury, but instead, with injury, provide a blessing. The Apostle Peter, for the New Testament, for us, tells us the same thing. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Jesus, uh, Peter says this. He says, Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but replay, reply with a blessing. Because this is how you have been called. Blessing instead of cursing, love instead of hate, tolerance and forgiveness instead of vengeance. This is especially difficult sometimes for us uh, because it's difficult not to resist evil. There's something inside of us that wants to push away the unlovely, to, to resist that. You know, but Jesus, Jesus spent a lot of time with the unlovely. If you remember the stories of Jesus, Jesus had, had meals, and even one of his disciples was a tax collector, the lowly tax collector. Everybody hated the tax collectors. They, they would be despised by their, their the society. They would, be, uh, they would no longer be their son or their daughter. They would be despised completely. Jesus spent time with tax collectors. He went to Samaria. Samaria is where the Samaritans were. He sat and talked with the woman of Samaria by the well. He spent time in Samaria and, and talked to them as well. He touched lepers. Lepers would ring a bell and shout, unclean, unclean. And Jesus would spend time and touch the lepers, show that he loved them and cared for them, and he would heal them. He embraced those that were demon-possessed. He even washed his disciples' feet. These are either unlovely people or unlovely tasks. And Jesus showed by his example exactly how he wants us to live. So this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, turn the other cheek. If someone takes you to court and tries to take your tunic, give him your cloak. Jesus says, go the extra mile, give to them that ask you. Don't lend it to them, just give it to them. Now, back in the days of Jesus, a slap on your cheek was not the start of a fight. It was the start of a process. It meant that somebody was insulted, somebody was disgusted with you, and they wanted to insult you, and they would slap you on the cheek. The response typically was to slap them back, and then it was, let's go. It could be going to court, it could be go before the elders, whatever it was, but it wasn't to start a fight, it was an insult. It was a petty insult, but Jesus said, even with these petty insults, just turn the other cheek. Now, the tunic is interesting because the Mosaic law provided for the cloak, the whole idea of a cloak. Now, at the time of Jesus, if you went to the market, and you wanted to buy something, and you forgot your American Express, don't leave home without it, right? If you didn't have your American Express, you didn't bring your money with you, you would leave your cloak as a pledge. 
you would give them your outer garment, you'd give them to the merchant, and you'd said, I'll, I'll, I'll take what I need, and I'll come back and I'll pay you, and I'll leave my, my cloak for you. It was, there were no credit cards back then. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 24 actually, oops, that's not it. Deuteronomy chapter 4 actually says this about collateral. It says this, it says, if the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. You see, the idea is they, they leave their cloak and, co and come back at some time and pay you. But it's saying if the person is poor, it might be the only cloak they have. So by sunset, it's going to start getting cold. Make sure that you can return the cloak to them. The Lord will count it as a, a righteous act. The law is always making provision, not only for righteousness, but also to provide for the needs of the poor, of the widow, of the orphans. This is, these are kingdom principles. We are to go further. This is where the extra mile comes in. It says this. This is the slide I wanted. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You know, the extra mile was a colloquial term then, and it is today as well. I mean, we often say, she'll go the extra mile, or they'll go the extra mile. Back when I was in the business world, we were always encouraged to go the extra mile. The customer's always right. Try to find one, some way to surprise and delight the customer. That's called going the extra mile. We, and we do this all the time today. Uh, like, for example, uh, you would say that I love doing business with that company because they always go the extra mile. Here we are in Orlando area in celebration. We know Disney, right? So often it's said about Disney Resorts Hotel that they will go the extra mile mile, right? They'll provide curb service. They provide free luggage service. They'll give you wonderful bus trips right directly to the park. They go the extra mile, free room, free luggage, whatever is free bus service. Jesus is also trying to impress upon us that these trivial manners are not to be extended just to people that you know, but also to the unlovely. You're supposed to reach out to those people that you don't normally would. Now, when we talk about unlovely, we're talking about people that are outside of our circle, people that are unexpected to get a blessing from us. Jesus says, if you, if you bless people that bless you, what good is that? Even the tax collectors do that. You want to basically go ahead and treat your enemy as your friend. You want to be able to go the extra mile. You know, it, it, it's interesting. I, uh, uh, Carol and I have a, a story about going the extra mile. And I, I, want, I don't want to spend too much time at it, but it was, a, it was an amazing time for us. And, and uh, uh, this is how it happened. We were in Pittsburgh. We had just moved to Pittsburgh. And I was, this is before I was with, uh, with ministry. I was still with Ford Motor Company. And we had joined a, a, a new church. It was a brand new church, a brand new church for us. We'd only been there a few weeks. And we met Pastor Scott. Scott was one of the pastors on staff. And, and we, we approached Pastor Scott. We were just getting to know the church. And we said, you know, We've got a four-bedroom home, and we've got two kids and us, so we have an extra bedroom. Perhaps you have a visiting pastor coming through or maybe a missionary for a weekend that needs a place to stay. We'd love to be able to provide that hospitality. It's just something we would do. We were, I mean, it's, it's their bedroom. It doesn't take much, much extra work. It's just for a weekend. It's a pastor, a missionary. We'd love to be able to do that. He said, thank you, and uh, we just didn't think about it. So a couple weeks later, we're at church, and Pastor Scott comes up to him, and he says, oh, 
I'm so glad I ran into you. You know, you, we were so nice to offer your home for somebody. It just so happens we've decided to bring in some youth interns for the summer. Really? And we're looking for some families in the congregation that could host a few of these interns, okay? And we're hoping that maybe you can host an intern. It really doesn't take much work. You just have to provide them with a bed. It doesn't matter where the bed is. And of course, if you could feed them, that would be wonderful. So we did what any of you would do if you've been asked by a pastor to do something. You, he said, we'll pray about that. <laughs> so, so we knew what we would do, but we just felt we had to at least talk about it a little bit. So Carol and I were driving home and we thought about it. We said, you know, that's a lot more than we thought, a lot more than we thought, but we do have the space, and I wonder what it's going to be like having somebody for the summer. How long is the summer? Uh, May, June, July, August, they go back to school in September, a youth intern. It wasn't really what we were bargaining for, but we agreed to do it. Well, here's the bottom line. That summer was the best summer we had ever experienced. The, a guy came to live with us. His name was Kirk. And Kirk was a junior at Liberty University. And he was engaging with the students. He was all full of energy. He was a 20-year-old. And we also had two teenagers at home. Our daughter and son were both in the youth group. So our house all of a sudden became the place to be because Kirk, the coolest kid, the coolest intern, was living with our son and our daughter. Kirk called us mom and dad. Carol would provide meals for him and put him aside. It was a wonderful experience. It almost could be any better except the next summer Kirk's girlfriend Jen stayed with us for the entire summer as well so we had Kirk one summer we had Jen the next summer she was even better than Kirk because she would at least clean a room I mean it was it was just amazing so like I said this is why God asked you to go the extra mile there is a blessing in that. There's a blessing in going the extra mile. I just figured you'd like to see some pictures. This is Kirk and Jen. We still see them. They still call us mom and dad. This is when they were down at Disney not too long ago. They got married after school. They're wonderful people, great Christian couple, and this is their kids. Now, it was kind of funny. I love this picture, but the thing is, is that a couple years ago when this picture was taken and we, we saw them at Disney, Carol reminded Jen that Jen is now the same age that Carol was when they stayed with us when they were calling us mom and dad. And she was aghast. <laughs> she couldn't believe that she had ever gotten to the age that her mom and dad actually were. So this is, this is why God tells you to go the extra mile. There is a, there's a tremendous blessing in this. And this is why Jesus so often says, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Jesus wants you to know that there's something about the law that you need to know, that there is a blessing in there. Don't resist the unlovely, even the evildoers. Turn the other cheek. They want the shirt off your back? Give them your coat too. Go the extra mile. Give. Don't even lend. Just give it to them if they need it. If they need to borrow, don't turn them away. This is going the extra mile. This is the heart of the law. It begins in the heart, long before the actual action is taken. Let's go on. Chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus says, you've heard it said, there's that saying again, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. 
For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not these tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So we've had a few of these, you've heard it said, but I want to pause here because we need to pause here on, on this idea about loving your neighbor and hating your enemy. Okay, in the law of Moses, the law commanded the Jews to love their neighbor. We know that, right? Uh, that's the Shema, love your neighbor. Leviticus 19.18 says this, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. However, by the time of Jesus, the people, as well as with encouragement from the Pharisees and Sadducees, had added the opposite as well. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And unfortunately, I think this, this, this misapplication, this equal obligation to hate your enemy, actually trickles into our society as well. There's sometimes, sometimes we feel righteous, by loving those that love God and hating those that are enemies of God. And that's not what the scripture says, and that's not what Jesus is saying at all. Now, who was the enemy? Well, during the time of, the, of Jesus, it was the Gentiles, the Samaritans, and the Romans. Those were the enemies of the people. They were not considered neighbors. They were considered enemies. And the Pharisees were telling them that it was okay to love your neighbor, but to hate your enemies. So Jesus says this, he says, you've heard it said, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You know, later Jesus would tell the story of the Good Samaritan. And the story of the Good Samaritan was not to show what mercy or what justice is, but who your neighbor was. And he pulled out the Samaritan because it was a person that was typically hated by the Jews. God's serious. God feels that all people are our neighbors, even our enemies. To truly fulfill the law, we must love, we must bless, we must do good and pray for our enemies, not just our, our friends. The unlovely are included in that. This also means, and if you really take these words of Jesus, it also means we can't worry about retribution. We've got to let God take care of that. We don't have to worry about defending ourselves because we allow God to defend ourselves. Now, this does not mean that we're pacifists. That doesn't mean that at all. There's some people apply it that way. But this is talking about personal. This is about your neighbor. These are petty differences that often lead to vengeance and, and, and heart feelings and anger and hatred. This is why Jesus tells us we need to do this. Jesus also says this. He says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see, Jesus is giving a reason why we need to do this because his father does this as well. God sends the sun on the just as well as the unjust. He sends the rain on the unjust. Why does he do that? Is he expecting a flood? <laughs> I don't think so. He wants them to have a harvest. He wants to bless the unjust. God is a loving God. God loves his friends. He loves all people. God, God says, this is what your father does. This is what I want you to do. And here's the kicker. Verse 46, that's why I left it up. 
For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? You see, there's a reward, just as I was talking about the idea of the extra mile and what a reward that Carol and I had and our children as well of having Kirk and also then Jay st Jen stay with us those two summers. There's a reward in loving your enemies as, as well. Now our conclusion is the conclusion of chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus says, therefore you shall be perfect. Be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That's what Jesus wants us to do. That's what God's expect is perfection. Jesus says, you've heard it said. Don't, don't commit murder, you should not commit adultery, don't divorce your husband or wife, don't fall, swear falsely. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, love your enemy, hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I want you to be perfect, as your Father is perfect. The conclusion, this is the conclusion of the true interpretation of the law, to be perfect. Therefore, you shall be perfect. If a man could live the way Jesus has told us to live in this chapter, as well as the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we would be perfect. Perfect. Think about it. We would never hate. We would never slander or speak evil of another person. We would never lust in our heart or our mind for not only sexually, but also for goods and, 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 and things that people have. We would never make a false oath and always be completely truthful. We would let God defend our rights Rather than feeling we had to do it ourselves, we'd allow God to do that. We wouldn't take it upon ourselves to defend those rights. We would always love our neighbors, even the unlovely, even the enemies. Jesus says, be perfect. Love the unlovely. Now, if a person could do just as what Jesus said, he would truly have fulfilled what Jesus said a couple weeks ago in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. You would truly have a righteousness that exceeded the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's what Jesus said. He said, we need to have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus just told us how to do it. All we have to be is be perfect. That's it. We can go home. Just be perfect. But see, here's the thing. We got a problem with that, right? There's only one man that's ever been able to do that, that lived the perfect life. He was the God-man. He was Jesus, the Lamb of God. He was born sinless, and he died sinless on the cross for your sins. Now, here's the thing. You can embrace his death, his victory on the cross. And the Bible says that his perfection, his righteousness will be imputed to you. You may not live a perfect life, but Jesus did, and you may have that righteousness. It's a, it's a great trade. It's our rags for his riches, our unrighteousness for his righteousness. That's the Bible talks about imputed righteousness. So here's the end of my sermon, and you can take this home. Here's some advice. Take it from a friend. Don't even take it from a pastor. Just take it a friend. You're not going to be perfect. You can try as hard as you want, but you'll never live to the standards that Jesus has for the law. God doesn't grade on a curve. His grading curve is 100%. You'll never be perfect. Jesus, however, was, was, was perfect. It's better, here's my advice, it's better to trust in Jesus. He was perfect and he's offering his perfection for you. His sinfulness for your righteousness, your sinfulness for his righteousness, your unrighteousness for his righteousness. It's a good trade. It really is. 
I highly recommend my suggestion to you, my advice to you, is if you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, traded your filthy rags for his righteousness, I suggest you do it. God demands perfection, and we have it in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.